Welcome to the Hearts Entwined podcast. In this podcast, we'll be having discussions around the secrets which attract lasting, healthy, fulfilling relationships, creating a healthy mindset, and what women should know and understand about men. Introducing your host, Lynn Smith, the Queen of Hearts, relationship expert, trainer, speaker, and best-selling author of The Cupid's Bow Technique. Lynn's mission is to have a positive impact in reducing divorce, domestic violence, and suicide. Welcome to the Hearts Entwined podcast. This is your host, Lynn Smith, the Queen of Hearts. And today, listeners, we're going to have a, a really fascinating conversation with my beautiful guest. Her name is Rebecca Lowry. Good morning to you, Rebecca. Good morning, Lynn. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. So, Rebecca, we were talking a little bit off air around a little bit around what you do and you actually do stuff around sexual alchemy so could you explain for the benefit of the audience what does that actually mean that is a great question I you know something I've been doing sexual alchemy for like 15 years but I've only recently got really clear on what it is so it's several things at once a bit how light can be a particle and a wave so sexual alchemy is it is what it says on the tin. It's alchemy is, you know, transformation. And so it is sexual transformation or transformation through the doorway of sexuality. And it's also an energy. It's a process. It's a journey I go on with my clients. Um, I talk about it being an ancient energy that comes through me in response to my clients. So when they're sitting with me in person or on Zoom, something comes online and does the work. And that is also, even as I talk about it, I can feel it switch online. So that's sexual alchemy. It's many different things. The core of which is transformation of, of your soul, really. Wow, <laughs> that's deep. <laughs> so what, yeah. tell the audience a little bit about yourself and, and sort of what led you to be doing what you're doing now. Thank you. Okay. Um, where do I start? I, I'll do the, the, the medium to short version. I, I was always really curious about sexuality. I was quite promiscuous when I was young, but from a very, what felt like empowered place. It was like, I'm really curious about sex. I'm gonna have lots of it kind of thing. Um, sometimes that worked in my favor, sometimes very much not so. You know, I got into some situations that weren't good. Um, I learned from it, but it wasn't pleasant at the time. And long story short through lots of relationships that didn't work and marriage without sex in it and all kinds of everything. Um, I kept hearing about Neo Tantra and um, I was really curious about it. And I ended up at a very small Buddhist festival. It's no drink, no drugs, very family friendly. And someone said, there's a woman doing a Tantra workshop. And so I busted my butt to get there had an exquisite cosmic experience. It was only two hours, you know, it's just an introductory thing, but that changed my life. That kind of changed the course of my life. And I ended up uh, studying with her. And she said to me, like on the second weekend of a six weekend, six month course, she said, you already know this. <laughs> you just don't know what you know. So let's wake it up. And so from there, I, I trained with her, but I also went and studied with lots of other teachers to have my own experience. Cause you know, this work is experiential, isn't it? It's not something you read about and get it. You have to yes. experience the body. So I went and had all my own personal experience and, and trainings and whatnot. And then my, this teacher who kind of just, you know, saw this in me started sending me clients 
And uh, at some point, like two years later, she said, you need a website. This is your work now. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> and so, you know, that was, oh, I guess almost 16 years ago, the works changed a lot in that time, you know, you could say I started at the bottom and worked my way up. I don't mean that hierarchically, but I mean, I've, I've done all various kinds of work in the realms of sexual healing and sexual transformation. And lately, I suppose the last two, three years, it's really developed into something that um, I just love and adore, really. It feels like I've finally reached where I'm supposed to be. And what, what I particularly like about what you do, Rebecca, is that you focus on men and helping men, which is um, something I'm really fascinated about um, because my work tends to be targeted towards women. And I know that there's going to be many more women probably listening on the podcast than men currently. But uh, so I'm fascinated in what, what sort of steered you in that direction. It's a good question. When I first started working, I assumed that I would be working with women. I don't know why I assumed that, but that was my assumption. And, but more men were coming, to, you know, just naturally. I did work with women and I worked with trans people and I worked with couples. And, you know, I worked with kind of every configuration um, for many years, but it was quite obvious to me that, it, that, the best way I can describe it is that something in me switches on naturally when there's a man in front of me and it does the work through me. Whereas when I'm with a woman or even a trans person or a couple, there's more, you know, Rebecca in play. It does, that thing doesn't naturally switch on. And so, you know, I work with a mentor, an intuitive mentor. She's taught me a lot of the intuitive side of what I do. And she's told me repeatedly that just like the, the alchemical technology system in me was put here to work with men. And that feels right to me. And I fought it for a long time because I thought I wanted to help anyone who needed help. But I'm, and I, you know, I just decided to do, to, to, to it's not even niche down, but to target my work where it's meant to be targeted. And you know what? It's made the work like, exponentially powerful doing that so that's kind of how that happened <laughs> wow i love it so could you give us a um case study example obviously i know confidentiality comes into play so i don't obviously want you to mention any names but could you give us a case study example of currently what might be the issue or the problem that you work around with men and uh, that comes to you frequently and and where they're currently at when they start the journey you know, uh, what they have to do during that journey and then what, what the result is that they come away with? That's a big question. <laughs> um, okay, let me find my way with that. When I first started doing the work, I was seeing a lot of very specific sexual issues. So things like wanting to get and maintain better erections, wanting to last longer in bed, wanting to boost confidence, you know, those, those are what I called my bread and butter, as it were, and absolutely love doing that work, but it's evolved. So now I feel like the men who I'm working with now, so, you know, I didn't work for the pan, whole of the pandemic, not in person. I, did, I worked by Zoom. It's very different. The, the men I've started working with since picking back up again in May, although their individual journeys have been very different, where they've got to is 
they know that there's more to it. And when I say it, I kind of mean there's more to intimacy, not just sexual intimacy, but inclusive of sexual intimacy. And that somehow exploring that without including sexuality isn't enough. It's not the fullness of it. So a lot of them have done some spiritual journeys. You know, they've, they've done a lot of work on themselves and there's a high level of self-awareness already. And so either there's just something that hasn't been addressed or something missing and, or there's something that's, you know, an issue that's showing up in, in the world of sexuality, but it's not the mechanical stuff anymore. It's the soul stuff, you know, that they are aware that they're looking for something outside of themselves that really they should be looking for inside. That's yeah, I think previously, you know, um, we've been brought upon a diet of pornography, haven't we? And unfortunately, I think, you know, these days, youngsters actually probably learn about sex through pornography and think that that is how sex should be. Yeah, well, if you think about it, if you have sex education at all, it tends to be don't get pregnant, don't get a disease. And there's very, you know, and then porn. And there's very little about boundaries and consent, you know, how your body works and how your body isn't all that you are and how, you know, pleasure and connection and intimacy are things that we can cultivate outside of the bedroom to fill ourselves up. And then we come as, you know, full overflowing cup to the bedroom, which makes all of that work better. We don't get any of that. We're not taught any of that. We're just shown a performance, you know, porn isn't even real sex. No. And then people, you know, it bring, it makes a lot of issues. It does make a lot of issues. I think especially for young young men and, and guys in general, because, you know, if that's their first experience of thinking this is what sex should be and what it is, then imagine how they're then going to approach, you know, a potential girlfriend. Yeah. Listen, I had a young man who um, he'd, he'd hadn't ever been with a woman and he'd, he'd seen a lot of porn and he thought that his body and his penis were dysfunctional because they didn't look like the men in porn. And when it boiled down to, after working with him from some time to try and get to the core of it, it was that, oh, this breaks my heart every time I say it. Um, so what he was seeing in porn were men with erections. And, but he was comparing himself soft to them with erections. And when he was soft, his penis, like every man's, would hang to one side. But he thought that that meant it wouldn't be able to penetrate someone. Right. Oh, so sad. It's, it's just heartbreaking. I said, well, did, you know, in the porn that you were watching, any man with a soft penis? And he said, no. And I said, well, have you, have you seen a man in real life or in a picture or, you know, anywhere with a soft penis? And he said, no. I said, I can tell you, having seen many of them, every man kind of hangs one way or the other. They're not in the middle. But, you know, he just had seen so much. He was kind of conditioned to think that that was right and he was wrong. Wow, I can't imagine what impact that might have on young men and, and how many young men are, are still dealing with that as an issue for themselves. Mm, it's heartbreaking. Oh, so in terms of actual results then, what, what is it that they go away with that they didn't know beforehand before working with yourself? 
Oh, that is a big question. I wish I could nail that down succinctly. Let me see what I can try. So, well, just around one specific issue, just say, you know, if you can give us an example of a particular problem that you've had as a, uh, an experience with a client and uh, go through those stages, that would be fascinating for me to listen to and I'm sure much of the audience. I have a really perfect example and I have his permission to tell his story, which is great. So there's this lovely chap I worked with a few years ago. And when he came to see me the first time, he had just turned 50 and he'd never been with a woman, never seen a woman naked, never been naked himself with a woman, nothing, nothing, nothing. And he had just lost his best friend and thought, you know, life is short. I better sort this out. So he came to see me to, you know, to, to step into that world. And I see a lot of guys who have little to no experience, which I love because I can open a door to something wonderful for them. So he and I worked together for about 18 months. Every now and then I would send him off to my teacher or to some, do some group work, which I wasn't offering at the time. And then he would come back and we would integrate that together. So there were some off periods, but mostly for 18 months. During that time, I saw this gorgeous man. <laughs> it was like he went, literally went from being in a shell to blossoming into the most exquisite flower. And he, he for a while back then, I was teaching um, a, like a kinky erotic massage to practitioners. And this man who'd never been naked with anyone was our practice body for a while. <laughs> you know, like, he, and he couldn't wait to wow. be. Wow. <laughs> I know. It was just awesome. And then he went off and did like group work and, you know, like neo tantra stuff and kinky stuff and anything that scared him or felt interesting to him, he would go and do it. He dated a tantra teacher for a long time. And that relationship evolved into something else where they are now still years later, very good friends. He had a lover for a while. They knew it wasn't really a relationship. So they were happy for it to be lovers. And then eventually he met who he calls his beloved and they're in a relationship and his beloved and his previous lover and his previous girlfriend are all good friends. Wow. <laughs> it's just awesome. And he quit his job. He moved to a city. I mean, everything, everything changed. And if I had to sum that up here, I can be succinct is that he became who he really is. That's what's at the core of the work is to, is to clear the conditioning and the shame and the habits and the patterns that we learn to kind of fit in because that's safe. But then at some point we kind of go, now I've squished myself into this box. I don't even know who I am anymore and things don't feel good. And so he was able to do some really hard work to clear conditioning and shame and all the messages he had received about who he should be and what was okay and what wasn't okay and how to be a man and all that rubbish so that he could be who he really is, which was actually a really playful, cheeky, mischievous, fun, sexy man. <laughs> Sounds delightful. <laughs> yeah, he is. Yeah. Right. So you mentioned Tantra there, and, and um, I have done podcasts about Tantra, but for those that are maybe new to what Tantra is, could you explain a little bit about what Tantra actually means and what that practice is? Yeah, a bit. I mean, I, I tend to call what's practiced and taught in the West now neo-tantra because I think, you know, in the, in the early 2000s, which was when I was kind of going through a lot of tantra courses in England, we weren't aware 
unfortunately, of all the cultural appropriation around that. <laughs> so, you know, my understanding, which is probably very poor, but my understanding of Tantra at its core is that it's a spiritual path of how to live beautifully and ecstatically in the world. And there are 112 sutras or paragraphs that talk about this path. And of the 112, only six of them are about sexuality and intimacy. But because we're so dysfunctional around sexuality, I think we've adopted that and shone a light on it and said, oh, this is what Tantra is about. It's going to help me have better sex. And that's not really what it is. You know, I think a lot of people think it's going to help them have better sex or they think it's a massage. That's the other thing it gets confused with because the term tantra massage has become a thing. Massage is a tool that might be used in there, but it's not tantra massage isn't a thing. And tantra itself, I mean, neo-tantra, which is what I can speak better to, I would say is it's really kind of what I do is alchemy of the soul. It's really going in and doing the inner work to uncover who you are from all the stuff that's been dumped on you. And there's, you know, there's a lot of elements outside of the, the strict pure Tantra path that have been put into Neo Tantra that I think are beautiful. They're just not pure Tantra. So things like when I was doing Neo Tantra, we did a lot of gestalt stuff and we did a lot of inner child work and we did um, a lot of stuff around sensuality and parent work. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's been added in, which, like I say, I think it's beautiful and helpful. And it certainly has helped inform my work in really beautiful ways, but it maybe isn't strict tantra. So it depends on what, you know, if someone's looking for something really strict, I think they need to go back to the source of, of tantra. You know, there's, I sometimes, not so much anymore, but used to get inquired, someone will say, do you do this kind of tantra or this kind of tantra or that kind? Because there's all these different paths. I was like, yeah, neo-Western stuff, mate. You know, like those very strict paths aren't my way, but they're out there and they're good. They're possibly not what you think they are though. Do you know, um, there's a Frenchman named Daniel Odier who wrote a book, God, probably 20 something years ago. I think it's called maybe Tantric Awakenings. I don't know, I'd have to look it up. And he studied with a Tantric master in India or somewhere and I think what he was learning was possibly the closest to a Westerner learning pure Tantra. I mean, I'm sure there's lots of people who've gone and done that. I just haven't read their books. <laughs> and he was talking about how she was getting him to be so utterly present in each moment. Like he would get up in the morning and go brush his teeth and show up for breakfast. And she was, what are you doing here right now? And he said, I got up, I brushed my teeth and I've come for breakfast. And she said, you shouldn't be here for another hours like three hours and she said if you were being present for each footstep if you were being present as you slid your pajama onto your body if you were being present as you put the toothbrush in your mouth there's no way you would be here right now you weren't present go back and do it again wow <laughs> wow <laughs> what was his response to that <laughs> I mean, resistance, of course, <laughs> like, you know, but, um, you know, I get chills as I tell the story because I feel like, you know, there's all these people of all genders who are looking for meaning and purpose and they really, we all want connection and intimacy and pleasure and all this yummy stuff, but we want a quick pill or a quick fix 
or we want a massage to do it for us or, you know, whatever it is. And fortunately, I, I attract people who want to go in and do the deep work to get to those deep places. But there's not a quick fix, generally, unless you happen to like awaken overnight. And even that's quite devastating from what I hear from you know, about it. So it's, um, it's a lot to find our way from the human perception to a soul perception, but to marry the two and walk in this world. That's mm. really kind of what Tantra is, you know, that's, and it's, um, it's a lot of work for the human mind and the human perspective. Absolutely. So I think we're on the same page in, in that we sort of look at life knowing that we are spiritual beings having a human experience Mm, utterly utterly I I tell you what as well like that's so alive for me at the moment because I talk a lot about that because in a way that's kind of the core of the work when you're really present all of who you really are that soul part and your human part is there and that's where that hot sex comes from because that's the thing we're looking for and I talk about it a lot and also I tend to have frequent existential crises about it you know like trying to walk both paths at once isn't always a walk in the park. You know, it, it can be devastating at times. And then you have to be with that devastation instead of resisting it. And it's a whole thing all the time. I've fortunately, I've found a, a, an author who's really um, saving my life at the moment because he is a man named Christian Sumberg, who um, he has memory of life before life. And so he, it, I know it's fascinating. I'll send you a, I'll send you a video, and I've just started reading his book. And he talks about what you and I talk about in terms of being spirit, having a human experience. He talks about that, but from being able to see the whole in a way that I don't every day, and it's it's phenomenal. It's really, I think you'd love it. You know, I think that it for me personally holds some. You know, I don't know if you find this in your in your work, but like when I'm with a client, it's very easy for me to be in that expanded place and all this wisdom pours forth from whatever it is I'm connected to. And then, you know, Rebecca goes back to her everyday life <laughs> and that feels like this new stuff that I'm reading from from Christian is, is putting some floorboards under that place so I can be in the expanded place more often, which is what I'm what I'm encouraging my clients to do anyway, but this seems to be something, you know, like everything that's going on in the world right now, what if we could use it as an opportunity as spirit to grow and evolve yeah. instead of as humans to kind of flush ourselves down the toilet? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's very easy, isn't it, um, to sort of get stuck in our heads and live our lives from a, a place of fear and ego, especially in the current you know, pandemic situation and buy into that and uh, that become part of the herd mentality of still carrying on living in a, that fearful place. But that is all in our heads. Mm. Just know, you know, that once we disconnect from that and, and know that it, that is just, you know, all in our heads and part of our human experience and it's meant to teach us lessons to um, show us what needs healing within and we get to a stage where we can let actually go of all fear and just live 
from a place of pure love and, and being in that intuitive knowing that everything's always okay. I mean, that's, you beautifully just summed up what I feel is the core of my work and your work, you know, for me personally and professionally is that, isn't it? It's, it's, and it's a, it's like a constant um, surfing the, I can't think of the word I want, the place where we are still human, but we remember our fullness and who we really are. Because, you know, if we weren't, if we were supposed to live in that place fully, I think we wouldn't be incarnated. So it's how do we be that incarnated? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. The Dalai Lama said something I wish I'd said. I wish this was my quote, <laughs> but he said, um, the purpose of life isn't to transcend the body, it's to embody the transcendent. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think, you know, when you look at the human race and our history, we've just forgotten who we truly are and where our, you know, huge power lies. And it isn't without, it is within. And we are all interconnected. And, you know, the fear comes from, I suppose, what's been inherited through our DNA. And that is, you know, when we were sort of, cavemen and women <laughs> living with probably the threat of saber-toothed tigers that we started to sort of recognize and act from a place of fear responses and that's obviously been ingrained over the years and it is now different but still we're conditioned but living with our 21st century uh, perceived fears instead Absolutely. And I, I think, you know, there's a couple of things in that. One is that I, I agree with that completely. And I also think some of the fear comes from some sort of primal feeling of separation because we, we perceive, you know, the human perceives itself to be separate from source, which of course we're not, we are source, but in order to kind of come here and have the human experience, we've gone through some kind of forgetting situation. And so there's that, there's that longing there. And it's almost like a fear. Have I been cast out, you know? And then you bring in the saber-toothed tigers and survival and all that. So, you know, like, whoo, we've been put in a real kind of fun simulation here. <laughs> but ultimately, I think, you, you know, I, I love chatting with you because I think ultimately the thing is for us to remember who we are and live as that. Yeah. And that's... You know, that's the foundation of my work. I just go into the doorway of sexuality. Like other people do that through, you know, cooking amazing meals or, or growing amazing gardens or, you know, different ways to take people back to who they are within. And for whatever reason, I've been given that portal, sexuality as a portal. I find it really fascinating. So when you, when you talk about something earlier around you know, erotic massage, how is that different to an ordinary massage? And how do people distinguish that from, you know, what, what may be, you know, they, they think, oh, well, that's just prostitution. <laughs> another big question, Lynn. <laughs> um, okay. So I'm not really in the erotic massage world, but I can give you my understanding of it having been there in the past. Um, and also before I did this work, I was a massage therapist, just regular 
like uh, therapeutic massage. And what's really fascinating is when I did therapeutic massage, every now and then I would get a bloke who would say, you know, do you do extras kind of thing. And, you know, what's funny is that I did not do extras, but I was never offended because I always, I hear women talk a lot about being really offended and how gross it is. and that. But even then I was like, well, it must've been taken some courage for him to ask that. Yes. Or he's really separated from the moment and he's had to put up such a veil to be able to ask, but whatever's going on there, I'm not going to shame him. Mm. I'm just going to say, no, I don't. In terms of erotic, I mean, there's like a whole, you could write books and books on there's erotic massage and there's sensual massage and there's intimate massage and there's tantric massage and kinky intimate tantric massage, you know, all like, and I think every practitioner who offers those things would have their own definition of them. Yes. And I think also every practitioner would have their own boundaries and what is and isn't okay. And also what their intention is. You know, I've known practitioners who offered some sort of erotic or sensual or intimate massage because they were offering it as a way to help a man celebrate his own body, you know, that sort of thing. Or sometimes because it was easy money or sometimes because for them it was a healing tool to help them deal with sexual issues or, you know, as many reasons as there are people. Um, so I, I feel like in terms of what's different between a regular massage, for want of a better word, and something that we would put in the other camp, <laughs> um, first and foremost intention you know because you could do a massage on someone's body and never touch their genitals and it still be very erotic yes sensual you could do a massage on someone's body and include their genitals and it not be erotic or sensual if your intention is to honor the whole body and make it inclusive so i think intention is the first thing what's the intention in the giver and the receiver and then you know, several layers down after that might be which body parts you include and how you include them. So I could, for example, massage a man's chest and it not be erotic or sensual because our intention isn't for it to be that. And I do some work on the pecs and, you know, that sort of thing. Another time I could do that same massage, but because he happens to have very sensitive nipples and he wants to be aroused, even if I'm not particularly attending, intending that, it could be arousing. So it's, I think there's a lot of um, nuances to that, really. <laughs> I hope that's a helpful answer. I feel almost <laughs> afraid to go down that rabbit hole too much. <laughs> Fascinating. You've led a very, very interesting life. Thank you for sharing that, Rebecca. So for the benefit of the audience, what, what's your best contact information, Rebecca? Um, my website, which is sexualalchemy.com, or my name, rebeccalowry.com, both point to the same website. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. I, I could really talk to you for hours around all these sorts of subjects, but, uh, you know, we'll save those for another time. Thank you ever so much for sharing your wisdom and your insights around what you do and what and how you help people. It's been really interesting. Thank you so much for having me. I could talk to you for hours as well, but, you know, obviously don't want to steamroll people, but thank you for your interesting questions too. I love chatting with you. So it just leaves me to wrap up then, audience members, with True Love Starts with Opening Our Hearts. And until next time, goodbye for now. Thanks for listening to the Hearts Entwined podcast. You can follow Lynn via the Facebook group Two Hearts Entwined or search Lynn Smith, inspirational speaker at LinkedIn 
or email lynn at hearts-entwined.com. That's L-Y-N at hearts-entwined.com. Remember, true love starts with opening our hearts.